From WOSU Public Media, this is Small Joys. I'm Hanif Abdurraqib. The title Small Joys comes from a piece in my essay collection, They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us. As an artist, small joys means the way our daily living offers us pleasures that can sometimes be obscured by the rigors of the world outside. My hope for this podcast is to have great conversations with artists who inspire me and talk about the small joys that fuel their creative process. For this episode, my guest is Maggie Smith. Maggie is a poet and writer whose talent gained notoriety when her 2016 poem, Good Bones, went viral across the world. She's written several books of poetry. Her latest, called Goldenrod, comes out this summer. Her essay collection, Keep Moving, Notes on Loss, Creativity, and Change, was released last year in the middle of a global pandemic and became a national bestseller. We began our conversation by discussing food and how the pandemic has changed our diets, and we ended it by talking about the ways that we are finding ourselves re-entering the world. Maggie, how are you? We're hanging in there. The kids and I are are hanging in there, and we've managed to to somehow get through this this crazy time um, healthy, which honestly everything else is just gravy at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think like health uh, is something, you know, what's weird. And I don't know if this has happened for anyone else, but during the pandemic, I've become, I've started to eat vegetables, which uh, is new (laughs) to me. It's like a new process uh, for me. And I've begun to eat fruit. And mostly this is because, you know, I went to the doctor in January for my my reluctant annual checkup. And my doctor was kind of like, you know, you can't be as you can't have like as high stress of a life as you have and also just eat chicken fingers all the time. <laughs> like produce, man. You need produce. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> well, maybe he's got a point. You know, normally I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, but now I eat, I eat vegetables. I'm, I'm curious if you have made any very large life changes over the past year that perhaps don't show up in your books or don't show up in your work or don't show up in your kind of public, you know, presentation of self? I mean, I still think of tater tots as a vegetable serving, if that makes you feel any better. (laughs) Um, I, you know, big lifestyle changes other than, you know, never leaving my house, which feels like a big lifestyle change. Um, I'm cooking, which is something I really didn't do much of before. Um, I was sort of like, who wants mom to put some Morningstar Farms quote-unquote chicken nuggets on a plate and microwave it for dinner. Um, and and because I've had sort of pockets of time through the day to, you know, chop something up or prep something or, you know, put something in the oven and let it sit for a while because I'm not actually leaving the house and going anywhere, I've been, I've been cooking more. And at first I was like, I don't know about this. Probably when I'm able to go back out again, I'll stop doing it but now i think it's going to endure and i i actually really enjoy it and um, i use my microwave a lot less frequently than i did before yeah my my, one my microwave is is terrible and i need a new one but i also have stopped using my microwave as much it's fascinating uh the things that we the skills we pick up do you have a go-to like what's your go-to meal situation that you enjoy cooking because um, I, I find myself like yeah. eating the same like five things and I'm always up for. <laughs> um, so I'm a vegetarian. Um, I'm not vegan. So like bring me all the cheese. 
But I'd say like the thing that I make that my family likes the most is probably homemade mac and cheese, which I make like from a roux and I put a ton of cayenne in it and it's really spicy and probably like 3,000 calories per tablespoon. Um, But the alternate to that is probably like a stir fried, um, like marinated spicy tofu in the wok with some green beans and rice. Um, Mm. And if I eat the mac and cheese a couple days, then I have to like switch over to the veggies and tofu. And I feel like I'm balancing it all out. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) Somehow. Have you, um, I really want to talk about Goldenrod, but before I get to Goldenrod, I kind of want to talk about the life that Keep Moving has lived and is still living because that book is not yet a year old, I think, right? Yeah, it'll be a year old in in October, which is is wild. In October? Yeah. It's still that young? I, I, I feel like every... You know, I, we're in the midst of this this moment where time, at least for me, is moving both quickly and slowly. Um, <laughs> I know, it's super distorted. Where I felt like... And I, I think that also maybe because I had an early version of that book for the sake of the blurb. Um, yeah. It, it feels like it's been in the world so much longer. Um, but October, wow, that book is still very much a, a, a young one. Um, I know. It's weird. It's weird. It was supposed to come out in May of last year. And then because right. of the pandemic, it got bumped to October. So it it's sort of, it, you know, it feels like it's been around for, I think, longer than it has for that reason, too. But yeah, not not till this fall will it will it be a year old. I mean, I, a big thing I want to ask you about, and that I imagine I'll ask a lot of guests who write things about, is the process of publishing in a pandemic for you, and not just the tour stuff, but all of the things that go into publishing during a pandemic, which I have had to learn in a very large way uh, recently. But what was that experience like for you, and was it exciting or exhausting or? Uh, you know, I found that it's it's exhausting in a newer and different way where it's like, yes, I'm not on the road and going from place to place, but there are new modes of exhaustion that I didn't expect. Yeah. I mean, I I, I definitely missed the the sort of sense of community that you get when you release a book into the world and can go into bookstores or, um, you know, to a radio station or or to a college and talk to people face to face and actually hand them a book and maybe give them a hug or shake their hand um, in in the process of of getting the book to them. And and so that sort of the lack of eye contact and um, and sound, I mean, even giving readings over Zoom, it's really strange um, because you don't hear anyone go, hmm, or um, you don't see people nodding or or getting teary-eyed or even looking bored, you know, which is also a cue. Um, right, so right. it just, it felt like kind of doing everything pretend, you know, like, you know, singing into a hairbrush in, in your mirror rather than rather than doing it for real and, and having to sort of build up energy to do the sort of performative things, but without feeling energy in a room. Um, I know you get that. It's it's really strange. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I'm part of the weirdness, I think, about releasing books during, you know, a global health crisis is 
I feel even more reticent to like share good news <laughs> in on the internet. Like it just feels like I know the world is burning down, but please pre-order this thing that I made. Or I know, you know, you're grieving all of these different kinds of loss right now, but I made this thing and I'd love to share it with you. And it's it's been a particularly awkward time, I think, to to do things that feel promotional because there's just so much big stuff that requires and deserves our attention. This is interesting because I feel like Keep Moving was a book that, if I'm not mistaken, of course, was dreamed up and worked on and all these things before the pandemic kind of gripped the world. And it was released into the pandemic. And I, I feel like um, it maybe there was something a little more, I don't know if useful is the word I want to use, but I think it came into the world perhaps uh, with the right intentions for the moment and what people needed at the time. And for the sake of folks who are listening and aren't familiar, I was wondering if you'd talk a little bit about the idea behind Keep Moving and how it began and then what it became and and then what it was like to release it into a pandemic where I think a lot of people were seeking the kind of messaging that was present in the book. Yeah, so the the book really began as these sort of notes to self that I was writing, um, usually on my phone <laughs> before I got out of bed in the morning. And then I would post them um, to social media. And those notes to self were mostly inspired by uh, my divorce, like I was just going through a really, really rough time and needed to kind of pep talk myself into functioning as a human during that time. And so it eventually grew into a book of essays interwoven with those notes to self, um, those little maxims or quotes or whatever, whatever people call them, aphorisms. And um, and then it didn't come out until, you know, fairly, I don't know, late middle pandemic in the fall when things were, you know, still really, really tricky. We didn't know when vaccination was really going to happen. And and so what I was hearing from people was that it came out at a good time for them, because even though it was written from a sort of place of personal loss and personal grieving, and um, it came out during a time when we were all feeling a lot of trepidation about the future and a lot of different kinds of loss in in people's lives. And so I do think in some ways it, it came out at the right time, but it still felt weird <laughs> to have to, you know, to do book promotion during a time when um, it just there's just so much going on. It's it's really hard to to sell something um, when you just kind of want to hunker down and take care of people. And I, and I guess in some ways that book was, was a way um, of taking care. Um, and I know people have gifted it to others as a way of showing care. So I, I, I guess I'm proud of that. I guess that's something I can be proud of from the past year. And I think this idea of pep talks that propel someone towards functionality um, I was just really served by that. And I think a lot of people were in a time where like, I just don't want to get out of my bed. You know, I think oh, I, yeah. 
you know, I, I think I've hit a point where I think all the time, I cannot believe I have to do stuff. And it's not even like a, a petulant or um, self-important kind of, I don't believe I have to do stuff. But it's like, you know, I look at my calendar. It's like, how is anyone? Or I look at my inbox and it's very much like, how is anyone asking this much stuff of anyone else? Like, how is anyone else even up to ask this much of anyone else? And not just me, but like broader in the world. How yeah. are we functioning? Um, that has been the question I think that has kind of haunted and hovered over my past years. Like, how are we possibly functioning like this? And what is the toll it will have that is in the moment unseen? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember in, in at sort of my worst moments getting up in the morning and being angry that like birds were singing. Like, th- don't they know <laughs> that everything is terrible? Like, don't these trees get that everything is terrible? Doesn't the sun understand that everything is terrible? Like how not only how are we all continuing to function at some level, but like doesn't doesn't everything know how bad things are? Um yeah, I mean, needing needing to find optimism in those moments when you're just you're just so low you can't understand how everyone else doesn't see what you're seeing. Yeah, I, and I I don't know. I mean, of course, I still have my days that are like that, and I still have days that are steeped in gratitude. But are, what are you doing now to keep yourself? I, I think optimistic is such a small word for what I'm actually yeah. asking. Because I think that what we, what many people I know and love require is something beyond even optimism now. Um, but what are you doing to keep yourself kind of upright and happily propulsive, if not optimistic? Yeah, I mean, honestly, right now, spending time with people again has been incredible. Um, I, you know, was able to hug my parents for the first time um, a couple of weeks ago after we were all fully vaccinated. And I haven't done that, you know, in a year. And, um, you know, spending time with people has been key. And, um, you know, my kids really do help keep things in perspective. And I was asking, I dropped Rhett off before coming here because he was home for lunch and we were working at a jigsaw puzzle and we almost finished it but we still have a few pieces that are stubborn and we think we might be missing a couple um and I dropped him off and I said I was going to come talk to you and and that probably we were going to talk a little bit about joy and how we were getting through this time and I asked him so what would your answer be like what what's bringing you joy right now and he's eight yeah and he said you know the pandemic's been really hard and I miss doing lots of stuff but on the bright side, we're getting a lot more family time. And it's like he's eight. So um, I agree. I think he I think he said it best. Like I even from a distance, I'm getting a lot of time with people I care about and really have the whole year. I mean, I have still gone to Sunday dinner at my parents' house the whole year. And if it's too cold for us to eat outside in the backyard, my mom has been packing up Tupperware containers of the meal and handing it outside to us. And we kind of shiver at a distance in the in the garage um, or in the driveway for like a 20 minute visit so she can see the grandkids and we can all see each other. And then we wave and get in the car and drive home and heat up the meal she handed us. So, you know, we've made it work. 
I, I do think, one, I would love to talk about jigsaw puzzles because I've gotten into puzzles, uh, <laughs> but I'm not very good at them. Like, I think that in my brain, I thought I was good at them and it would be fun to, to jump into them. But now I'm realizing as my house is filled with like three puzzles in various stages of completion, <laughs> uh, I'm just not, I maybe don't have, well, one, they're hard to do alone, right? I think <laughs> they the are. Yeah, Which it's I, a social thing, I think. I, I mean, yeah. Although I, I have to say, I was that. I was such a dork that when I was like in junior high, I had a card table that I never like took the legs up on. Like it was just always, the legs were always folded up underneath it. And I slid it underneath my bed and I would just work jigsaw puzzles in my bedroom while listening to like Cure cassettes. So if that tells you <laughs> something about the kid I was, yeah. it's not it's not good, man. But I'm also thinking about, um, I love what you said about your family and the dinners. I, one thing that I think will sustain or that I hope sustains are the, the kind of sacrifices that we made for each other just to see yeah. each other or to, to spend time with each other. I'm a bit cynical about what will endure uh, and what won't endure from the pit, but I, I think maybe that's just my nature. But one thing that I do think or hope for uh, is that we kind of maintain some of the sacrifices we made just to see and be around each other um, or just to be in the presence of each other when it seemed like that was not possible. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, I don't know. Nothing else really means more than that. Like, you know, as someone who still lives in her hometown, I haven't yeah. seen, you know, I haven't seen aunts and uncles and cousins for a really long time, but I, my sisters and brothers-in-law and nieces and nephews and parents, like we've managed to keep it going, um, you know, unless there was a blizzard or it was pouring down rain, we've managed to keep it going um, the whole year. And I, and I, but it was like that before. I mean, that wasn't like a new tradition. We just kind of stubbornly refused to give up the things that meant something to us before. Hmm. I love that. Um, I, I feel like we should talk about Goldenrod because one, as someone who published in two genres within a 12 year span in 2019, um, I felt a mix of pride and exhaustion. Um, <laughs> that was a different time. I mean, that was me being on the road like all of the time though. But how have you kind of prepped yourself and I think in between Go Ahead in the Rain and Fortune for Disaster, there's maybe even a bigger window, or maybe not. Um, but how have you kind of prepped yourself for being like, okay, my brain was wired to talk about this book, talk about Keep Moving for so long, and now I have to do this other thing. Uh, and I would, am I, this is, I'm going to make an assumption, and I could be wrong. Was Goldenrod in the works longer than Keep Moving? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, figured, I mean, Rod, yeah, because yeah. that's how it works, right? That's how the that's poem how poems work. Works. Yeah. I mean, Goldenrod, the 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 earliest poems in Goldenrod go back to 2015 and some even earlier. They just, you know, didn't make it into into good bones. Uh, and the latest, the most recent poems in the book, I finished right before I turned it in. So there are a couple 2020 poems in the book. So it's, you know, five plus years of writing because poetry happens slow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like one poem at a time and you're not really sure what you're doing until you print everything out. Yeah. 
at some point and realize, oh, I've got like over a hundred poems here. That's more than a book. I wonder if there's something in this that could be a book. And it's kind of carving everything else away and finding finding the shape of the thing. Um, but I mean, to answer your first question, I don't know that I really have wrapped my head around um, how to shift away from talking about keep moving to talking about um, poems again. Um, it's it's a it's like a totally different animal. I have to I might have to kind of go into like my, my underground poetry bunker for a week or so before that book comes out and kind of <laughs> get my story straight. Yeah. I love that process. And I think I've heard you talk about that process before. And I'm always interested in how it serves you in the larger scope of the work where you're saying, I'm sitting down to write one poem and I, my goal is to just write another poem. When do you decide that you've got something or does that decision just made for you? Yeah, I don't think I really ever decide. I think I just get to a point where you know, it's been a number of years and I can see that I have tons of work just sitting in my computer and probably most of them have been published individually because I've been continuing to send them out, you know, to journals. And so I get to a point where I print everything. And that's really where the sort of book begins, where I print, you know, I, I went through something where I printed every poem I'd written since Good Bones was published. And it was like 150 poems. Oh, wow. And I took them in my suitcase to Tucson, Arizona for a residency at the Poetry Center there and spent, you know, part of my time during that residency going through, you know, 150 some poems and picking the ones I thought could be a book. And then I had some more writing to do. I wasn't I wasn't quite done, but I was at least able to kind of carve out the ones that felt like they wanted to be in conversation with one another. But but during the writing of those poems, I had no idea what I was writing toward. I was just making a poem at a time. And I think in some ways that keeps me honest. It makes me nervous to think about writing toward a book um, or, you know, choosing a topic, for example, and being like, I'm going to write 50 poems about this or um, it just I, I like sort of keeping it organic and, and surprising myself because you just don't know. You don't know what might happen if you don't give yourself an assignment, you know? Yeah. And I also like this idea of saying picking out the poems that could be a book, because I think that is different than um it pulls away, I think, from this binary of the, where are the good poems and where are the poems I don't like as much, right? I think yeah. asking a better question of, I have found myself doing this as I get older, or asking myself a better question of what poems are in conversation with these other poems and how can, if I don't feel that strong about them, how can I get them to the level where they you know, are earning their way into this project? But the, the question of, how is my work speaking to my other work is a better a better one to me than is this quote unquote good yeah i i agree and i don't, i don't necessarily feel like i'm the best judge of which poems of mine are quote unquote the best whatever right. that means i mean it's yeah. so subjective but i know there's a poem in the new book um that almost didn't make the cut and i was like no i i feel like it wants to be in this book and when i sent um when i sent the the manuscript out to to people for for blurb consideration 
um, Ellen Bass wrote back, and she sent me the most beautiful blurb. And she said, one of my very favorites is Stone. And I thought, I mean, I, I hadn't mentioned this to her, but I thought that poem almost didn't make it in the book because I wasn't sure it was strong enough. But I'm such a huge fan of her poems that the fact that she saw saw that just kind of confirms <laughs> what we're saying, which is, you know, sometimes we're not really the best judge of of the work. We just have to kind of trust it. Isn't that the worst, though, that we have no <laughs> that because I'm the same way. And I know very few writers who are who are that intuitive where they, you know, I think I understand myself fairly well and I have a fairly good understanding of myself uh, in the world, but not really on the page. I, and, and that is interesting to me. Um, yeah. That I, that but isn't that what keeps you doing it? Yeah, I suppose so. Right. I think that's maybe that's the thing. I mean, that, like, I like to write poems because I'm figuring something out about the poem, about myself, about the world, about how I feel about things. I mean, it's it's like a it's a discovery thing. And so if I think if I got it too much, if I understood it too much, it would feel kind of rote. It, you know, it would it would lose the it would lose the energy that drags me back to it again and again. Um yeah, I don't want to know. I mean, sometimes people ask me questions about my poems, and I'm like, I have no idea where that came from, and that's how I'd like to keep it. Like, right. I don't actually want to know where all this stuff comes from. And please don't, you know, don't ask me what it means, because right. I, don't, I right. don't know what it means. Um, that's not really my concern. I'm just, I wanted to do something, and I did it, and I think it's done. I could be wrong. I might go back and fix it again, but... Um, I'm, you know, I'm done enough with it that I can move on to the next thing. And I think if we get too close to figuring out the puzzle of our work, then what do we do next? You know, I, 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 I want to get close to figuring out the Rubik's cube, but I don't want to figure it out necessarily because then I got to find a new toy. And that, that seems more daunting than just ruminating on the toy I have. <laughs> I think writing's going to be my toy forever, so I cannot I cannot quote unquote figure it out because yeah. I don't have any I'm not actually good at anything else. So if I if this starts to bore me, I'm really in trouble. Like I I don't think I have something else in me. <laughs> Can you I mean what what kind of concerns are you orbiting in Goldenrod and what kind of as you set it apart and as you kind of put those poems uh in some kind of order that felt good? What kind of, what kind of, where was your imagination circling? Yeah, well, I mean, I think even just thinking about the years that I wrote those poems, the bulk of them were written between 2016 and 2019. Mm. And just think about, I mean, just think about that, you know. So, you know, personally, I... You know, I had two kids and then my marriage ended. So there was a sort of um, personal unraveling that was happening, but also a sort of uh, our country was unraveling. <laughs> um, there was a lot of just general insecurity and rage. <laughs> I'll be honest, like a lot of a lot of anger and a lot of grief. But at the same time, you know, it's it's really balanced, I think, with, you know, these moments of of gratitude 
and finding finding the bright spots because we have to, you know. So there, there are, I, I realized a few kind of motifs that come up in the book over and over again. And one of them is finding things either in my pockets or in my son's pockets that he's collected. And either he's put them in his pockets and I found them while doing the laundry or he slipped them into my purse or my coat pocket so that I'll find them later. And it might be a note or an acorn or a pine cone or a rock or a dandelion head or something like that. But it, those things come up over and over again, um, almost like, you know, like a talisman or a good luck charm. And I, I think that's been so much my experience of, of those years was that there was so much that was hard and then you reach your hand into your pocket and feel something that somebody slipped there for you to find. Yeah. Which is kind of what poems are, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now that I feel like with that frame, I can go back into the world of poems and feel good about whatever discoveries I'm finding when I reach into my pockets, which have been empty for several months on the poem front, which is fine. Um, yeah. I mean, are it you, happens. Are you currently writing? Or are you like, are you like, I'm doing everything but writing now? Oh, no, I'm writing. I mean, I'm writing a lot. It's it's like the one thing if I if I wake up cranky, I can I, I have a couple of choices that will make me feel better. Um, one of them is putting on headphones and going for a long walk and just listening to really loud music and, and getting fresh air. Um, and the other one is is writing. So so I'm doing a lot of it just because it makes me feel like me. Maggie, what kind of music are you listening to when you're kind of taking to your your outdoor time, your walks and whatnot? I listen to a lot of everything. The The only thing that is required is um, the volume has to be turned up so loud that that I could be attacked by a dog or or run down by a car without realizing it until it's too late. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the past year I've been listening to a lot of um, that Waxahachie record, St. Cloud. I don't oh, know if yeah. you know that one. Oh, my God, it. it's so good. And I found myself going back to um, my parents gave me their record collection. So the records that I listened to at my house when I was a kid, I have now. And most of them are just absolutely scratched up and wrecked. But some of them I can still listen to. So I'm going back and listening to all this old, like, Dan Fogelberg and Loggins and Messina and CSN and Y and stuff. I remember, you know, like, dusting my parents' furniture and listening to on Housework Saturdays when I was a kid. And, and so um, going back to some of that stuff, too, has been super nostalgic and, and nice this year. Those are the best. The, the, the parents passing down record collections. That's the best. The best. A real gift. Maggie, will you tell me something that you are looking forward to in Columbus in the coming months as we are approaching uh, summer? Or by the time people hear this, it will be summer. Uh, can you tell us something that you're excited for? Um, honestly, I am really excited about lying in my hammock, <laughs> maybe falling asleep, and then waking up with a sunburn, um, which I know sounds like it wouldn't be that enjoyable, but there's just like a really distinct pleasure to waking up and realizing that you're a little bit sunburnt. 
because it means that you've had the the sort of gift of time in which to do that when no one needed anything from you. I love that. Maggie Smith, thank you so much. It was a joy to talk to you. Thanks so much. At the end of every episode, I'll take some time to talk about one of my small joys, music I'm listening to, art that I've seen, or some aspect of life here in Columbus, Ohio that I treasure. It's um, getting a little bit warmer out, not as quickly as I'd like with spring kind of slowly making its way into the weather landscape here, but it is getting warm enough to go back outside and play with my dog, Wendy. Um, This winter, here in Columbus is pretty treacherous, especially on the back end. There were points where I had to shovel twice a day. And other than shoveling twice a day, going outside felt immensely unbearable and untenable. And so Wendy felt that too. I mean, we've been inside with each other, just she and I for the past year. And um, to get outside and play is something that I think we cherish. And specifically because last fall, Uh, Last summer and fall, I taught Wendy how to play soccer really efficiently. I set up two little cone goals in our backyard, and now she can bring the ball out of the air and kind of kick the ball while running or, you know, as best as a dog can kick a ball and get it in the goals every now and then. Um, In a way, you know, she does and doesn't know what she's doing, but I just love watching her exert the energy that comes with playing the game. And so we we played soccer together all summer and all fall. And uh, now that it's warm out, I got a new ball for us and I cleared out the backyard and we have gotten back to playing soccer almost every day. Uh, And it's been really fun. And, you know, Wendy at the core is a very lazy dog. So she doesn't have much in her. She has maybe 20 minutes of playing time in her before she wants to go inside and lay down. But that 20 minutes is very much our time. You know, I... I work a lot, she sleeps a lot, and um, we have made this kind of unspoken pact to meet in the middle and find a little time outside messing around with a soccer ball. And um, that has been the small pleasure that has really propelled me through an intense run of weeks. I mean, I've been on book tour, I've been releasing a book, I've done all these things. And to have, um, to have this time, you know, my little 20 minute break of playing in the sun with Wendy has really done a lot of good for me I think that is my small joy for this week thank you for listening Small Joys is a production of WOSU Public Media the show is produced and edited by Michael DeBonis sound engineering by Kevin Petrilla Ryan Ailes designed our logo I want to thank Maggie again for joining us and thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show help us spread the word tell your friends Rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice.